The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. This episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is brought to you by Collier's Engineering and Design, a multidiscipline engineering firm with over 1,800 employees in 63 offices nationwide and growing fast. Collier's Engineering and Design maintains an internal culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy hybrid work environments, continuous career advancement, health and wellness offerings, and programs and projects that have a positive impact on society. Collier's Engineering and Design stays on the cutting edge of technology and their entrepreneurial approach to expansion provides personal and professional development opportunities across the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. For more information, visit the career page on their website at colliersengineering.com. Hello, and welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Hannah Ayazani, PE, a geostructural design engineer at Keller. We'll be talking about geotechnical construction and women in geotechnical construction. I'm your host, Jared Green, and this is the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up to date with technical trends in the field. And with that, let's jump right into today's episode. Anna, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. It'd be great if you could share with the listeners a little bit more about yourself and why did you pursue a career in geotechnical engineering? So my name is Hannah Izzoni. Like you said, I am a, uh, a geotechnical design engineer here at Keller uh, North America. We are the world's largest specialty contractor, and I do a lot of our in-house design. So value engineer foundations, earth retention design, temporary structures. I add the engineering support to our project management and operations team. I'm originally from the Poconos here in Pennsylvania, where I, I'm in Philly now. I went to school at Northwestern University. I got a degree in civil engineering, went to University of Colorado for my master's uh, in civil engineering, worked out in Denver for a little bit, and then came back to Philadelphia. And I started working at Keller. I actually did a couple of internships in undergrad with Hayward Baker at the time in Chicago, fell in love with the world of geotechnical engineering and contracting. And then I've been kind of chasing the role that I have now that I started about a year and a half ago, chasing that role ever since. Cool. And what made you want to go into engineering? I mean, how'd you get into this? So as a, a kid, I liked Legos and building blocks and all that. And I was good at math. So my parents were like, oh, you should be an architect or an engineer. I was like, sure, let me go to college and figure that out. Started as a civil engineering major. Didn't do well in structural engineering. Was like, this is not my path. Did a transportation internship in Portland, Oregon. That was not my path either. And I came back my junior year and was like, I'm a couple years into this degree. What am I going to actually do with it? And a professor at Northwestern suggested I look at Hayward Baker and try to get a summer internship there. I worked at Thornton Quarry, um, the grout curtain installation that's just south of Chicago. 
I was on that project for the summer and just fell in love with the whole aspect of it, the construction side, the design side, how it all melded together. I really loved all of it. The internships really show you what it looks like. And it's like, oh, I like this or I don't like this. So that's really cool to see. And you weren't afraid to travel. It sounds like you moved to a lot of different places. Yeah, I tried to say yes to as many opportunities as I could. So now we fast forward. Now you're in the world of Keller. And uh, what's a typical day look like for you? And every time I ask that, it's always funny because I know there's no such thing as a typical day. But what's a typical day look like for Hannah? You know, it's different every single day. It's always new projects to look at, new challenges to consider. I generally try to get in the field maybe once a week or however, you know, my schedule allows so I can see the projects and the designs that I have worked on, see them in progress. It's a nice side being working for the contractor that I have that access and I'm able to really better understand our equipment, our crews, the operation side of it, and factor that into my design. So I try to do that as much as I can, but mostly I'm in the office, whether it's here in my office in Berwyn or in my house, I have a home office in Philly and I work on calcs, a lot of math every day. So valued engineer to bids, looking at if we actually get the project that I'm doing the design, if I'm the engineer of record for the foundations or the earth support, running through the calcs and, and doing the drawings for that, and then following up on the QC. Did we put a pile out of tolerance? How are we going to address that? Do we get a low grout break strength? How are we going to address that? It's a lot of math and a lot of uh, reviewing plans and, and working as a team to figure out how we're going to build the best product. It's got to be a good feeling when you're designing something and you get to see it get constructed, right? Yeah, that's my favorite part about being on this side of the table. I'd worked for a consultant for a while. I've, I've been on the other side, but I like having that immediate feedback, the immediate access to the product that's actually going in the ground. I might stamp a micropile design on Tuesday and they start putting them in on Thursday or Friday. So it's a short turnaround for us. You're very active in uh, the design and the construction foundations. Can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Like, what are the geotechnical construction? Because we have a lot of younger listeners and you can remember we're in school. A lot of times it's like you're doing calculations, but you don't really understand how does it all go together. But what does it mean? The geotechnical construction and geotechnical design and foundation design, that's like a couple of different branches of the civil engineering world coming together. You learn soil mechanics in school, but then you go and design a foundation. You need to understand the structural side of it very well. You have to do the concrete and steel design. And most importantly, you have to be able to talk fluently with the structural engineers and the architects who are providing the loading for your design and understand how what they're assuming impacts your foundation and how that foundation behaves impacts their structure. There's a lot of the structural engineering comes into it and then the construction side of it, geotechnical construction, you don't always have a, an element that you can inspect at the end. A lot of the installation and how the element gets in the ground impacts its performance and behavior. So it's important for the designer, for the installer, for the QC, the inspector to all be on the same page so that you know you're putting a good element to the ground. You have to be aware of how does the drill work and you have to be aware of what signs of the spoils or cage installation am I tracking as the inspector that I know that I'm putting a good element into the ground. So understanding how it all comes together is really important in geotechnical construction. And you said something really key there, just understanding how the drill works. So understanding the limitations and the tolerances, that's something that theoretical and the practical is like very important. And I know that you all have a really good relationship with the folks that are actually installing things, right? 
that helps you out from an engineering judgment standpoint, which is often a lot of younger engineers say, how do you get engineering judgment? Like, how does that happen? What chapter is that in? It's time. It takes a lot of time. You know, if I said, what is the relationship between geotechnical and foundation engineering? Some people would say we're saying the same thing. How do those relate to one another? Glance, I would think that they are the same thing, but further thinking about a little more, you know, as I said, that the geotechnical engineering, you start with soil mechanics, you're understanding how the soils behave, but when you move to the foundations, you're adding that whole structural component and you're adding a multidisciplinary component. Like say you're installing ground improvement and they need to come in after they've installed everything and, and put utilities in. So understanding what uh, the utility contractor needs and how that is going to impact your ground improvement design is, is really important. A lot of the foundation engineering is getting out of just the soil mechanics behavior and understanding the structural impacts of the design and installation of your elements. And then you have a lot of different types of elements and systems that you're designing. You're doing supportive excavation and ground improvement and drilled elements as well. Yep, autocast piles, micropiles, uh, drill shafts, kind of do everything here at Keller. And so you have to change gears a lot. So Tuesday, you're designing one thing and Wednesday, you're designing something else. Yes. It's, you know, once you get into it, you realize that a lot of the load transfer mechanisms are all the same, you know, how you're shedding that load. And really the important thing is you follow that load path and how is it getting into your element? How is it getting out of your element? And once I started switching to that at or way of thinking, things got a little better to shift gears easily. It's just follow the load. How is it getting in and out? And then you have codes and, and everything to help guide you through that process. So it's slightly overwhelming, <laughs> not altogether overwhelming. Well, I'd love to kind of change gears a little bit and talk about your involvement with volunteering. You're doing quite a bit in the industry and congratulations. I know you just recently received the President's Award from the Deep Foundations Institute just a few weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. Can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement and how that shaped your career? Why have you been involved? Talk a little bit about that. I'm kind of a all-in person with my career. I wanted something that I was very fulfilling on multiple levels and just coming, you know, to work every day, clocking in and clocking out at four, coming at seven o'clock out of four wasn't something that I was looking for. I wanted to be involved on many levels. When I was a graduate student, I won the ADSC scholarship and they take you to uh, the next ADSC conference, which conveniently was at IFSI in San Antonio in 2015. That was the same year that they were having one of the first WIDIF, the Women in Deep Foundations, meetings from DFI at IFSI. And so I was kind of gathered up with all the other women who were at the conference and were like, you have to come to this event. We're having a meeting. It's going to be great. And I'm so happy that I did. And I got involved with the Women in Deep Foundations. It's a fantastic community of women and men who are, are very supportive of encouraging the development, professional development of women in the industry. It was very exciting to have this supportive, vibrant community that really connected me to the industry at large. So through WIDIF, I got more involved. I won the women, the WIDIF Professional Development Grant Award uh, to go to New Orleans, DFI's annual conference in New Orleans. Got more involved through that and then used the WIDIF group as a jumping off point to get more involved in the technical committees at DFI. I've joined a handful of them. I, I sit in, I try to sit in on every technical committee that I have time for just as a way to keep, put my you know, ear to the ground for what's going on in the industry. And especially as a young engineer, 
just hear what are people talking about? What are the concerns that you have when you're designing an Augercast file? What are the challenges that you have in construction? What are some of the issues that are coming up that everyone you know in the industry is familiar with, except me as a brand new engineer, I'm not familiar with it at all. Just listening to people argue and you know get on each other about different code limitations and everything. It was really helpful to like jumpstart my knowledge of the industry at large. I got involved in the Augercast committee and I'm now the vice chair of that committee and then also got involved in moderating sessions for different conferences. So I found that to be a great way to just read a bunch of papers, which are people from around the world telling you what they did, what they had trouble with and how they solved it. So it's like a speed class on geotechnical engineering and then have moved up into next year. Chris Woods and I will be the technical co-chairs for DFI 47. You just gave the cheat codes right there. There's a lot of good stuff there for the listeners. And the reality is that sometimes the hardest part is just starting. Once you get involved and you start giving back and you start growing that network, you're right. It just, it leapfrogs to the next thing, gives you opportunity to be connected in this thing. How else are you going to know what's going on unless you're talking to people? So you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's been really great. Yeah. And I think it's also helpful if you're a part of an organization and encourages that. And I see Keller throughout the industry. So I know that they encourage that, but you have to take advantage of it because if you don't go to the conferences, or if you don't go to the meetings, you're not going to get that. So that's really cool. I've seen that, you know, in an organization like Deep Foundations Institute, you see all these women that are moving up in their careers in geotechnical engineering. It's like, that's awesome. And I'm really glad to hear that you've been involved with mentoring young female engineers. And, you know, a lot of folks are talking about promoting inclusivity within our industry. But, you know, in your opinion, why do you think that mentoring female construction engineers is important? And how can we do more to make a difference in engineering through such mentorship? It's important because there are challenges uh, unique to being a minority in a group that make it a lot harder to continue through that, progress into that. I think if you look at who's entering the industry and who's getting degrees, you're starting to see a little more parity there. My graduate engineering group was like 70% female, but you get into the industry and especially the geotechnical construction side of it, it's a very homogenous group. You have certain experiences and hurdles that are put in front of you that sometimes you're not sure, is this a hurdle that I'm supposed to be taking on? Do I have the time and energy to take this on? Do I want to be the one pushing this, you know, hurdle over and paving the way for people behind you? I think you end up losing a lot of people out of that because like, why should we take on all this extra work all the time just to do something that like take all that out of it? This industry, it's a lot of fun. It's really exciting and challenging and it pushes you in a lot of fun and exciting ways. Then you add that whole extra layer of, you know, having the only one of a minority group in the room and having to hear certain things or just, I don't know if you saw the ADSC Women in Construction Group is working on PPE right now that actually fits women in a safety initiative. You were telling me about that and I did not even realize that that's a thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so having like... At my first uh, job site I went on, I wore an extra large safety vest for a couple of days until someone was like, this is ridiculous. This is not a safe scenario. But when you're a junior engineer, you don't know that you're supposed to speak up and you're supposed to tell the PM, you have to buy a safety vest that costs 10 times as much as all the other ones because it's what I need to do my job. It's hard to do that at, at 22 or 23. 
So when you provide that mentorship to junior staff and you, you can give them guidance, like, yes, getting up at four in the morning to be on the job site and working 12 hour days, that's a challenge that you have to work with. Having PPE that doesn't fit or some of the comments and things that you go through, that's not something you need to tolerate or push back. And I, as a more senior person in the industry, I can help push that out of the way. I understand a little more how things work and I have more weight behind it. And I'm not as worried about losing my job. I can kind of push that and help people who are younger than me. So you do that, you help grow people through some of the rough points that maybe they shouldn't have to, but they do go through. And then we can have an industry that has a lot of diverse viewpoints and fun people who are are just great to work with. We have these almost like barriers to entry, and then we have these blind spots. So if you're not realizing that these things are present, you're not able to help. Or if you realize it, but you don't want to do the work as a leader, you're going to push people out of the industry. And that's terrible. Something as essential as PPE, like this is what you need to safely do your job. If I'm handing you a vest, that's way too big. And I haven't put the thought into saying, wait, I need to think about what I'm ordering. I've put you at a great disadvantage. And there's so many different things like that in our industry that we're just now starting to realize and and make those necessary changes. So we'll get there. It's going to take some time, but we all have to do our part. So thank you for doing yours. Yeah. What are some of the things that we could do to better support, you know, women are pursuing degrees and in engineering and then, you know, specific for geotech and even in your sense, geotechnical specialty contracting. I mean, that's like real niche. It's a real niche, right? So what can we do? I feel like at the university level, we're kind of good in a general sense of there's a lot more women, I mean, more women than men getting degrees in general. So I think you hit it from, from two far ends of the spectrum of there needs to be more visibility for young girls that a whole variety of STEM careers is available to you and encouraged. Because nothing breaks my heart more than when you have a five-year-old tell me like, oh, I can't go into construction because that's just for boys. You're like, I don't want you to ever say that. <laughs> so to come at that and, and just knowing that it's an option and then to come from the other side, which I think the Whittiff group has talked about, we created that video. So like, what is geotechnical engineering? I love that video. It's great. And it's really, I mean, for men and women, just educating them on geotechnical construction and what is geotechnical engineering. It's not just running Atterberg limits in a lab. Like it's a lot more involved and varied. There's so many careers that you can take in this industry, so many paths to follow that educating the college students on if you get this degree, this is what you can do with it. I think that's really important too. Before we take our break, final piece of advice you want to give engineers that are listening? It's important to keep your mind open to new opportunities and to say yes to things that are going to challenge you and take you out of your comfort zone. It's very easy to look at something like, do you want to move to Tennessee for six months to work on this dam project in the middle of nowhere? And you're going to work a lot. If you say yes, you know, you could get a really amazing opportunity, meet people you would have never met before, see the world in a whole new way. But I think at, at first, maybe it doesn't sound like the most enticing thing to do. And say yes, especially when you're young and you're, le- you're a little more unmoored in life. Say yes to things that come and, and challenge you and see where the wind takes you. All right, great. So we're going to come back in just a minute and close this one out with Hannah Ayazani on our Career Factor of Safety in segment. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It's time for our career factor safety end segment. 
And geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Hannah Anazani. Hannah, you've already had a very successful career and you're still in your career. When you look back at your career, what's one thing you implemented to give yourself a factor of safety in your career? So something that I've done personally is I pursued certain technical skills that not a lot of people have. I feel like I've moved myself into this geotechnical construction niche, and I am currently developing my structural design skill set. I tried to take the SE last year, studying for it, taught me a lot, didn't pass it, still working on it. But getting that fluency in structural engineering has allowed me to kind of smooth the path in the value engineered foundations conversation. There's a lot of people in geotech that don't understand the structural side, and that's kind of the reason why they're in geotech. So for me, pursuing those technical skills that not a lot of people have or places where people are kind of uncomfortable with the skill set required, I think that also goes for you know public speaking or different teamwork, soft skills. If there's something that you see in your industry not a lot of people are very good at, you make yourself good at it. It's really a good factor of safety on your career. Excellent. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. And for sharing all the great insights with us, you shared a lot of good information. It's going to be great advice for our listeners. And if a listener wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get you? Social media, email address? LinkedIn works really well. I check my LinkedIn a fair amount or sending me an email at my Keller email. Thanks for coming on. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a good time. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback comments, and or questions, please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 41, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.